at the same time, that it seems to flow through the story of God's redemption and God's people who had who rebelled against Him on uh, ongoing sin. so much in Israel as a people group. It seems as though the Old Testament is, is showing Israel to be a separate people group, but then you have people such as Caleb and Rahab, of course, that eventually become part of that commonwealth. Mm-hmm. And so is that, this is before Israel is established as a nation, though. Yes. And so is the theme already developing of that principle? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it shadows it for sure. What's that? Okay, so we're back to Peter. We're back to Peter. Any any questions or comments before we go back to Peter? We good? All right. I hope that's a little better than we talked about it last week. Okay, Second uh, Peter 2 verse 5. So God didn't spare the angels but he committed them, he's got them in custody, waiting for judgment. Then verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, which he, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So there is the second one, um, as uh, in the ancient world, the disobedience, of the ungodly and the salvation of the righteous is verse 5. Again, Peter is building the assurance that God is in control of your life if you belong to him. He's in control of all things, but God uh, can preserve you no matter the situation you're in because he takes care of the ancient world. The, uh, The world was led into disobedience except for Noah, and his family. Uh, and uh, Peter says the world was ungodly, but Noah was godly, righteous. Verse five and six talks about the world being ungodly, both in Noah's day and in Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse nine, uh, is it verse nine? The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial. So the ungodly versus the godly. Noah was, uh, I I don't remember who I saw said that Noah was a passive, was not a passive believer. Uh, In that he believed God because God told him it was going to flood. It was going to rain. Uh, He expected God's judgment to come. Uh, because God had promised it, but he also made provision through his obedience for uh, escaping God's judgment according to God's word. 
And so uh, Hebrews eleven seven says this, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah was a shipbuilder, but he's also a preacher, a preacher of righteousness. Uh, he couldn't keep quiet about the impending doom, about the impending ruin uh, of the unrighteous. And, you know, you can imagine in the desert, or at least in desert-type conditions, building an ark. I don't believe it had rained yet. And he's saying, what you doing? Somebody's saying, what you doing, Noah? Well, it's going to rain. You say, huh? what? <laughs> I mean, and he did it for 120 years. What? It's, it's going to rain? Yeah, and you're going to be drowned if you don't listen to the message of righteousness. Uh, yeah, Noah was uh, uh, not much fruit to his preaching, but he was a faithful preacher, faithful in preaching the righteousness. So God's judgment on sinful creation is inescapable, right? Uh, he protects those who he protected those who believed him, him and his word through Noah. <laughs> Peter's message of judgment on the world comes with a way of escape, and his Peter says through Christ alone, you'll escape the judgment of the world. Uh, there's this, you know, some people the uh, have this idea that death uh, is the end. And that's nothing but wishful thinking, according to Peter. There's going to be a judgment. It's appointed a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment will come. So Noah spends these years building the ark. Uh, Warner tells us 120 years, right, Warner? 120 years. Took a while to build it. Uh, holding forth righteousness to uh, ungodly people who only continually were sinners. Uh, I'm sure he was laughed at. Nobody, nobody paid attention except his family. And, you know, people don't listen today, do they? People mock. When Paul preached in Athens, some uh, heard him and they mocked him. Some did what others do. Let's talk about that tomorrow. We'll hear about this later. And then others believed. Uh, so it's, you know, in this hostile world, sometimes you just want to give up. Uh, maybe. Some do. Uh, we face opposition. We need to hold out and hold on to the righteousness like Noah as our example. and Believe it. And in verse 6 through 8, the third if 
if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. By the way, we talked about sensuality in verse 2 two weeks ago. Glenn told me that, that uh, who was it, Glenn? Took us down. Inappropriate for children or something like that because yeah, we... Below 18. They couldn't listen to our Bible study two weeks ago because we talked about sensuality in verse 2. So we may get shut down (laughs) tonight. But he says, uh, if he rescued righteous lot, verse 7, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard, um, how does that strike you? Lot should have moved sooner. Yeah, he chose the wrong place. But if we just read Genesis' account of Lot, how righteous does he seem to be? Yeah, offers his daughters to save his to save his. Uh, Guests. Mm. Mm. Yeah. She looked back and turned into salt. So, yeah, salt of the earth. Yeah, yeah, she did. So yeah, but we have this. And we have Hebrews 11, I believe, right? Isn't there a reference in Hebrews 11? But but he's a righteous man. He lived among them day after day. He was tormenting his soul. But God's point here, or Peter's point here, is if God can judge Sodom and Gomorrah, and if he can uh, deliver or rescue righteous Lot, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from their trials. We need not worry if we're his people. We need not worry at all. You know, what was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? We can't be sure. It seemed to be homosexuality. It seemed to be. Corey, was that where you concluded when you preached? For... Yeah, well, that's the sin we see there for sure. Yeah. It looks like, I mean, that's a, so you look at their sexual morality, it's the whole, all the men. The whole gamut? Yes, and it's, uh, yeah. But I think there's still even a taking whoever they want kind of idea. Yeah. Sexual assault and all of that. I mean, is it Ezekiel that we have inhospitable, so like that people will use and downplay the sexual morality, the sodomy? But um, clearly, there is sodomy and sexual morality is rampant in that city. So you just mentioned Ezekiel. He also says, Ezekiel says they were arrogant, they were overfed, and they were unconcerned. They didn't help anybody but themselves. These, probably speaking of these shepherds who didn't shepherd Israel, but they took care of themselves. Uh, so, but Peter kind of stays more general. They're just, uh, he just talks about Sodom and Gomorrah ungodly. He talks about um, 
uh, their sensual conduct. He talks about their lawlessness. Uh, back in First Peter, he was a little more specific on the sins. Uh, but uh, he just, verse 8, look at verse 8. And, and, and ask yourself, um, is this me? In that, as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Is your soul tormented over what you see? Or you just think of them as, I don't know, whatever. I'm not going to put a thought in your mind. How do you think of the sin that you see? Uh, day after day in the world that, that you experience at times coming. Hmm? It's sad. Yeah, we live in it, and we're called to be in the world. Not of the world, but in the world. And <laughs> Lot was in the world, uh, and he was tormented his righteous soul was tormented over their sin that he saw and heard. We don't have that recorded for us in Genesis, but the Holy Spirit of God inspiring Peter to write it here for us to know what was going on even inside of Lot. Uh, as Craig said, he could have left earlier. Uh, but the Lord delivered him. The Lord rescued him uh, with, by his word. Um, in Genesis again Sodom and Gomorrah it rained sulfur and fire and the dense smoke of furnace of, the, of a furnace again for all who believe that's the future it's a foreshadowing of the judgment day that Peter is going to deal with in particular in chapter 3 as he goes on but grace and mercy comes accompanies annihilation in the flood, eight are saved. Sodom and Gomorrah, at least uh, Lot and his daughters are saved um, through it. So uh, Lot, a righteous man, stands with Noah, who preached righteousness, uh, yet he was distressed uh, by the sensual conduct of the wicked. City council or something, yes, uh, in our vernacular, yeah. Yeah, it's usually some sort of a position uh, within the city. But they wore him down, um, tortured his soul, if you will, and uh, Abraham interceded for the cities of God, right? Remember? I don't know where he started, how many hundred first, and then he got down to ten, and, well, uh, Lot and nine others, well, I don't know if we don't think there were that many others, but at least there was, God did not, uh, Abraham considered Lot righteous, apparently, and God did not uh, uh, destroy everyone. He had a way of escape. 
Here's what Adam Clark said. No, that's not Adam Clark. That's uh, another Clark. However strange this may seem that Lot was rescued, there are many Christians today who are in no position to criticize. They should listen to the rumblings of the volcano beneath them. You know. I mean, it's so easy to think about how bad those people are, whoever it is you're talking about, and not face ourselves and examine ourselves and uh, confess our sin when the Lord convicts us and shows us. So, uh, judgment is promised. Sodom and Gomorrah is a warning. Peter describes the destruction of our world as he comes both Noah's day, water, and fire. So we got Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood. Uh, and, uh, it's not... Is it hard to live a Christian life? Is it hard to discern... What's right and wrong in the Christian life? Usually it's not. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's just hard to execute what we know we ought to be doing. Uh, So we get mad at sin. Be careful. Um, Distressed and tormented like Lot. And don't, don't, don't watch the news a whole lot. I mean, I don't know what channel you want to listen to who's going to tell you the truth. Uh, but, yes, it's sad. Brenda says it's sad. Others, we get angry, maybe. Distressed, we're tormented, but we don't want to be driven to despair. Right, Paul, Paul, I love 2 Corinthians. you like 2 Corinthians? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul says, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. We have a bright future. And if God can do this throughout the ancient world and throughout history, he can deliver us. He can deliver us. I mean, Paul Paul is no big deal. You know, I mean, you read chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Persecuted by my friends, persecuted by my enemies, but shipwrecked, all the things that he lists. Momentary light affliction. Because God has a better plan for those. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, but at the same time, how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. The day of judgment is coming. He keeps the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. That's an interesting statement there, isn't it? Because there are a lot of unrighteous people who are getting away with murder 
and I don't necessarily mean literally murder. They're getting away with murder, but they're in God's custody still, and he is keeping them, and there will be a judgment day. They'll not get away with it. Maybe here, usually not, but maybe here, but not in the future. And that's and so I, I have assurance is assured. <laughs> uh, Peter gives us this assurance. He knows how to rescue us. God is faithful. He'll put you in situation. You'll face situations. But he will not let you be tempted beyond what you and he together can overcome. He always makes a way of escape. You can leave Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? You can uh, believe Noah and get on the ark. Uh, or you can trust today in the Lord Jesus Christ and avoid the judgment that's coming. Why does God allow false teachers in the church? Why does he allow Christians to be harassed? Uh, Calvin says, if the Lord would have his own be safe, why does he not gather them into a small corner of the earth that they might mutually stimulate one another to holiness? Why does he mingle them with the wicked by whom they may be defiled? Notice we need it. He's purifying us. You know, it's, it's like the story Borum tells about the fishermen whose fish were always uh, more virile and healthy when he got into the port, and nobody could figure out why. By the time they, they had their catches, they all had them in live pens. They'd come in, and uh, this is in England, the cod fishermen in England. They'd come in, and one man's fish were always firmer and fresher than everybody else's. And he wouldn't tell them why. He wouldn't tell them how he did it. They begged him and begged him. Finally, when he died, his daughter was free to tell. And what he did is he put a predator fish in the live well with the fish that he caught. And that kept them active until they came into port. The rest of the fish just kind of hung around. Uh, and Borm entitles the... Uh, essay, Why Doesn't God Kill the Devil? It's, a, it's my story. It's my testimony of I could not wait to go into full-time ministry and get, get away from those people I worked in the marketing group at the oil company. I could not wait to get away from them. I was going to get paid to do what, I do what I did for free for so many years. And within two months, I missed the daily sharpening that those foot folks had on my life and didn't realize it. There wasn't a catfish in my pen. I'm supposedly dealing with Christians every day. And I have, let, for these last 25 years, less, less daily, less uh, relationship with the lost. I miss it. Part of that's on me, and part of it is just part of the ministry. Enjoy those knuckleheads you work with, that you relate to, your neighbors, your ornery. 
enjoy. God has them there for a purpose, to make you fresh and strong and to sharpen your wits, your spiritual wits. we got to stop. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for those uh, hard times, those trials you put in our lives. Help us to know that you are in control of our lives, that every circumstance is designed for us. Help us to embrace the people and the things that you give to us, you put before us every day, knowing that you're just making us into your image, into the image of your dear son. Help us, in Jesus' name, amen.